0: Let's pray. God, as we turn our eyes to you, we pray that uh, as we just sung, that it would be true in our hearts that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim. They would seem uh, less exciting in comparison, especially in comparison to you and the joy that we have uh, eternally in Christ. And even as we come to your word, God, we pray that it would, as it is alive and active, we pray that it would speak to our hearts in a way that uh, encourages us and equips us and causes us to think and to uh, long to follow you in a a way that is honoring and pleasing to you. Uh, We thank you so much for your word and pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to hear it this morning and apply it to our hearts so that you may be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, every person responds to authority in different ways. Uh, it depends on your personality, and it depends maybe on your upbringing or your past experiences with authority figures, uh, or even the, the approach that the authority has had in your life, and ultimately, who that authority is. It really, we react differently to all kinds of authority. Kids respond differently to the police, the principal, and a parent. All authority figures, and they respond differently. And even within that class, they respond differently to an aggressive police officer and a gentle one, to a caring principal and an authoritative, like a, a hard principle, and to parents. They respond differently to different types of authority. Employees respond differently to uh, bosses and coworkers, and even nice bosses and cruel ones. You would respond differently if two people told you tomorrow you must, you will, start a diet. You respond differently to your spouse and to your doctor. It's just the way it is. Someone who authoritatively speaks into your life depends on who they are, the approach they take, your experience in the past with that sort of authority or that sort of tone even. We respond differently to all sorts of authority. And it's so interesting How vast, even within your own self, the response to authority is, let alone within a room of people. How vastly different we respond to authority. Different circumstances make us respond differently. People and personalities, positions and purposes. What's the purpose of them telling me this thing? To correct me or to control me? What is the purpose So the way we respond to authority really has a lot of variables, and it matters a lot. Well, in this morning's passage, we're going to see the extent of the authority of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, his authority over all things, in all areas of life, he is authoritative. And then we ourselves must consider our own inclinations, our natural responses to authority, and then think about um, how we have responded to and do respond to Christ's authority in our life, because we desire to respond in a way that is faithful and obedient and reverent and quick. But maybe we don't sometimes. But it's interesting to here we'll take a look at the authority of Jesus in a number of circumstances, and it is amazing to see the vastness of His authority. Mark chapter 1, and beginning at verse 14 through verse 33. Hear God's word. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, "'Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men.' And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching." And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame spread everywhere through all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, And immediately they told him about her. And he came, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. This is God's word. I hope that as, as we even just read through that passage, you can just hear the tones of the authority of Jesus. But what's amazing is, it is so various. Not only does it impact different um, elements of a person, but even the realm of the world, how he impacts. He has authority over the soul. He has authority over life's purpose and plan. He has authority over the spiritual realm. He has authority over the body. He has authority over demons. And we'll see that as we begin to unpack these passages here and just be amazed at his authority, but then at the same time be asking ourselves and and our maybe kickback against authority is when Jesus is exercising authority in my life, how do I respond? How do I respond? So I began uh, purposely in verse 14 and 15, though I had touched on it last week, I began there because that's where Jesus asserts authority in commanding people. In Acts, it tells us, a time has come when he commands all people everywhere to repent. And here, we see Jesus preaching a command to repent and believe the gospel. Stop trusting in religion. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop loving sin so much. Repent. Turn from that. Cling to me. Believe. It's a command. So at at the outset, we think of his authority over the whole projection of a person's life, the whole trajectory of a person's life. Heaven or hell as a destination. Satisfied with eternal joy in God's presence or tormented in his wrath. And Jesus here commands people, repent. Repent. Turn from your way, the way that is wide, the way that is easy, the way that you have grown comfortable with, the way that just feeds your own flesh and selfish desires. Turn from it and believe. Even at his initial command, there is a kickback. I don't know about your own story, but you know, when you heard the gospel for the first time, did you re- respond with yes? Likely not. It was likely a fight a struggle, a kickback. No, I'm not that bad. No, I don't need to drop this and this and this. I don't need that. How many times did you hear the gospel and the authority of Jesus saying, repent, turn from that and believe in me? How many times do you need to hear that before you, in God's grace, were drawn and and saw the beauty of the response that said, yes, Lord, I'm yours? How do we respond to this initial display of the authority of Jesus? And not even just in your life initially, when when you heard the gospel and the alarm bells went off and you said, that's for me. But how do we respond to this daily? Carrying on 10, 15, 20 years down the road as a Christian, when he still tells you to repent and believe, repent and believe. It's not like you become a Christian every day and that you've lost your faith no, but instead, are you living a life of repentance and belief as He is commanding us all towards? Quit trusting in yourself. Continue believing in him. How do we respond to that? How, do, how would you respond if, if you're going through a hard time and another Christian tells you, you just need to repent and believe? You'd be like, yo, I believed the gospel five years ago. Stop telling me I just need the gospel. How do you respond to that authority of the gospel proclamation in your life? Is it with uh, trusting the deliverer of the message, trusting the the plan and the purpose of the message of repentance and belief? How do we respond, not only to this initial, when our ears finally have ears to hear, and our eyes finally can see, but ongoing, how do you respond to the gospel? The gospel is not for uh, unbelievers, the gospel is not for people who are not Christians, the gospel not only brings us into faith, but it is the continuation of our faith. In order to be in the gospel, someone who loves the gospel and lives in light of the gospel, we are living a life of repentance and belief. The gospel is not for unbelievers. It's for all people. He commands all people everywhere to repent, it says in Acts. So how do we respond? What's your knee-jerk reaction to to the the message of repent and believe? Then it carries on. So that's the uh, authority over our soul originally but it goes on to the purpose of our life and the plan of our life Jesus has authority over it Uh, verse 16 there um, he comes and he calls some of his first disciples who were fishermen of course and it's funny because you know in verse 16 it seems like well that was a redundant statement you know Uh, They were casting their net into the sea for they were fishermen. Like, they were fishing because they were fishermen, is what it says. And it's like, well, that's obvious, isn't it? Well, it's not. It's just saying that that's their life and that's their career. That's their livelihood. They weren't fishing as a leisure activity on the weekend. It wasn't that, though. this is just something fun they were doing, and so they left something fun to follow Jesus. They were fishermen. That is what they did. This was their life's work. This was their careers. And, And... there they were fishing, and Jesus, with authority, calls out to them, and he said, there in verse 17, follow me. Follow me. Stop what you're doing. Follow me. And he says, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to trans- your life, transform your life purposes. I'm going to change everything you thought you knew about your five-year plan in life. I'm going to change it all. Follow me. What do they do? They followed him. They dropped it all. It says there, um, verse 18, and immediately they left their nets. They left it. They didn't just say, well, let me just bring this along. Let me just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I need to have a backup plan, Jesus. I I don't really know if this is going to work out with you. I need to have a plan. Let me sort stuff out. No, under the authority of Jesus and the plan of their lives, they said, yes. And they dropped it all. They left what they were doing. They left their nets. And you see how they did it? How quickly they did it? Did they hesitate? Did they say, let me just weigh the pros and the cons? No, it says there in verse 18, and immediately they left their nets. And they followed. They followed him. Immediate. You think about what it was to be a fisherman, and it's interesting that of these men that are of the first disciples, we see the three here, Peter, who is called Simon here, Peter and James and John. Well, these are the disciples that are nearest to Jesus, that serve with Jesus. Well, interesting about fishermen, as J.C. Ryle noted, he says this. He says, Does a, a fisherman try to catch fish? Of course. Does he use every means possible and grieve if he's unsuccessful? Yeah. Does a fisherman have patience? Does he toil day after day and wait and work in hope? Well, happy is the person who has the fisherman's skill, diligence, and patience all combined. Those are skills that are necessary in the fishing of men. He says, I'm going to transform what you do as a career You're not going to fish for fish anymore. You are going to fish for men. Your life plan is going to be turned upside down. And and they may have felt inadequate, but the beauty of it is there in verse 17, he says, I will make you become fishers of men. I'm going to do that in you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to do this thing. And amazingly, they responded to Jesus' authority over their life's plan by saying, yes, yes even if it didn't make any sense, even if it looked like a difficult path or a path of um, maybe less prestige, they had no idea. They just knew that they had to leave what they were doing. They had to drop it and follow him. He called them. And there in verse 20, when he called, uh, James and John says, He called, and they left. They didn't just leave their, it says they didn't just leave their fishing gear there. Verse 20 they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. They left their family, they left their livelihoods to follow Jesus. I wonder how you respond to someone else controlling your life plan. How would you feel about that, an arranged marriage How would you feel about someone telling you what you will do for the rest of your life as a job? Most of us don't like that idea. That happens in some countries and they make it work. But here we have the freedom to choose who we marry, freedom to choose what we do as a career within our skill set, obviously. Freedom to train for a different career if you're sick of another one. But if someone told you, no, you will do this, how would you respond? What's your heart's knee-jerk reaction to say, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do? How do you uh, respond when someone else calls the shots in your life? Some of us are very defiant. Some of us have defiant children who when you call the shots, they don't like it. And they do something else. And they do things their own way. Right? All children do that, but some are stronger than others. We don't like having someone else call the shots in our lives. So then, what do we do when Jesus wants to call the shots in our life? He says, leave that and do this. I'm going to change your plan. I'm going to change your direction. What you thought you were doing for the next five years, I'm going to change that. Follow me in this. Come this way. Do this thing. How do we respond? Do do we try to say, okay, well, I'm going to have a backup plan. Or, or I need to at least, you know, figure out ten things that I'm comfortable with in this plan. Like, what do we do when we respond if Jesus is leading us this way? Do we go, kicking and screaming? Do we do everything in our power to say, no, this is the door. This is the door I want. This is the life I want. Ease, comfort. This is where I want to go. And what if Jesus says, this is the way you should go. This is the way you ought to, this is where you ought to be. Would you go? Would you follow? Have you ever left anything that was comfortable and made sense in order to follow Jesus? What have you left that's comfortable, that you have planned? Have you ever changed your plans for Jesus? Is he calling you to? We always have to be willing and listening and walking in the direction of full obedience. Saying, wherever you take my next step, I will take it. Even if it means leaving everything I have. Leaving everything. Have you ever followed Jesus in a way that is hard? In a hard place, to a hard conversation, to do hard things? How far would you go to follow him? To what ends? At what price? What cost to yourself? Would you follow Jesus if he called you there? Would you sacrifice how much of yourself if he said, This is the way, I need you to go? Would you go to Sudan if all of a sudden there was a burning desire on your heart and, and a call and someone just says, Hey, I, I think you should go to Sudan? And, and you feel in your heart that God's doing something, you're broken for the people in Sudan, would you go? Or would you try to excuse yourself and, you know, well, I got things going on here, my family and my job. And if, if you knew it was literally a call from God to go to Sudan, would you go? It's a hard question because we like what we like. And we have established ourselves in our place and we have planted ourselves. And it's hard for us to give up that control. And I think this is a huge area of our lives where even, even Jesus' authority on us is kind of hard to submit to because we like things the way they are. And that doesn't get easier the older you get. And the older you get, you'll realize that, like, I like things the way they are. And so it's hard for us, maybe as believers, even though we know who Jesus is. And that's the thing, you know, I said at the beginning, we respond to authority differently when when the, the approach of the person, but also who it is. An angry police officer versus a gentle parent telling us the same thing. We're going we're gonna to respond differently. And so when, when we are having maybe a hard time, even if, if Jesus and God is calling us to something difficult, something unplanned that we've not planned, we have to remember who he is. Remember who he is, that he is perfect in all of his ways. That he cares for us at such a great cost of his own life if he is calling us to something which we think is difficult or hard or doesn't make sense, remember who he is and then respond to his authority. Don't respond with a knee-jerk reaction thinking this is just someone else telling me what to do. This is God. If God is leading you somewhere, even if it's not convenient or comfortable, even if it's not exciting in your mind, will you be willing to go because you know Who Jesus is. And and reality is, if you're a Christian, you've already done that. You've already done that. The life that that seems to be easy, the easiest choice is follow what my heart says, right? And do what I want to do and do what looks right and easy on paper. And Jesus says, repent of that and trust me, trust my plan, which, which is foolishness to people who don't believe. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you've already done it. You've taken the biggest step of all. You have entrusted your uh, eternal destination to a God that you've never seen with your own eyes or held with your own hands, but you have believed in faith. And so because you know who God is and the power that he holds, you've already done that. And so with the smaller things in our life, with the decision about your next year or your next five years, you can trust him. You've already trusted him with your eternity. We just have to remember who he is. It's hard when we try to take a next step and God says, go this other way. It's hard. But we remember who He is and then we trust Him. He he controls the plans of these disciples' lives and our lives. He says, follow me, and they say, yes. When He says, follow me to you and to me, we say, where? How far? I'll, I'll go. It's incredible that he has the authority over plans and purposes of our lives. And it's a beautiful thing to trust him with that. But not only does he have uh, the authority over the plan, the soul, and the plans and the purpose of our lives, but he has authority over the, the spiritual realm. Look at this next uh, section in the chapter, verse 21 to 28, where he goes to Capernaum and he's um, entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And there, it was amazing. Verse 22, you see, they were astonished at his teaching for or because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So the scribes were those who did regularly teaching in the synagogue. They were those who were so well versed with the law of God that they would teach about it, they would teach how it applies to life, how it applies to situations. They were the experts in the law, the scribes were. And clearly, they didn't teach with authority. They may have said, this is what it says, and this is what I think it says, and this is what I think it means. Jesus came in and saying, this is what it is. This is what it is. He taught with authority. And they were astonished at him. They noticed in him the authority that was different than these men who had Uh, the greatest knowledge of the scriptures uh, of anyone on the earth. And they saw Jesus and said, he has authority. He has authority to teach these things. Well, why would he have authority to teach these things? Because it's not someone else's ideas that he's teaching. Uh, The word of God is, is his word. Of course he was teaching with authority. He was teaching what was already in his heart, what was spoken through the prophets long ago. He was just saying it again and saying it with uh, definitiveness and truth He taught with one Of authority So in his teaching it, there, there was this authority And what's crazy is you see the response Of this man Who was there um, uh, In verse uh, Yeah, verse 30 uh, Sorry, 23 And immediately There was in their synagogue A man with an unclean spirit So right there you wonder Had this man been in their synagogue for months and years? Just dormant? Just kind of doing his thing? Getting his spiritual teaching, checking his spiritual box, going to church? But he's not uncomfortable. He's not uncomfortable. There was no authority in his life saying, Thus says the Lord, you must live this way. There was no authority. There was no pushback on this spirit in this man. And he's just sitting there comfortable until Jesus shows up. The authority of all authorities... And Jesus speaks, and the unclean spirit is offended. The unclean spirit is pushed back. It is exposed, and it freaks out. It literally cries out. Right there you see in verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And that could be a reference to, uh, in, in 1 John 3 verse 8 it states the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil he appeared to destroy the works of the devil or we know eternally he will throw all of satan and his demons into the eternal torment lake of fire and so he's thinking is now the time you've come to destroy me you've come to torment me i was fine just leading this guy's life Helping him make subtle decisions that were not pleasing to God, but you have come and you have spoken authoritatively over me and tried to tell me something that was not in line with the enemy's plan, he's offended. If you ever get a chance to read the book Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, it is a confusing read at first, because the enemy in the book is God. It is written from one demon to another and how they're to tempt the Christian. So they refer to God as the enemy. But it is an incredibly talented book by C.S. Lewis where he captures the very things. He says, oh, it doesn't matter if they pray, as long as they don't really believe it. Oh, it doesn't matter if they're in church, as long as they're just there to put on a show. Those sorts of things, you think, wow. It is inc- incredibly uh, 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 a great book to read, obviously fiction book, a made-up story, but it gives a real good insight into you think is that how the spiritual realm is working in my heart and in my life? Is that how the enemy is working against me and just really exposing um, what's going on? And so here, there's this unclean spirit in this man. We don't know how long this man had been in the synagogue. We don't know how long he'd had this unclean spirit, a spirit that is opposed to God in him, but now it's been exposed, it's offended, and the authority of Jesus has come against it. And so he carries on not only say, Um, Have you come out to destroy us? And then he says in verse 24, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Not just, I know what you're teaching. I know what you're about. I know your plans. No, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And of course, the Holy One of God is, It will crush and does crush anything that stands in his way. And so that's why this unclean spirit is offended, exposed, having a knee-jerk reaction to the authority of Jesus in his teaching, and he's crying out, trying to expose him, trying to uh, get, whether it's those in the synagogue or those around, trying to say, look, at this is the Messiah. You should come and try to worship him as your king, and that'll kind of throw off the plans of his whole suffering thing. So that the demonic forces were always trying to work against the, the, the journey to Calvary. So they're trying to expose him and, and lift him up on his great throne and make him a great king and try to say, look, look, this is the Messiah, so that everyone would transform the way they viewed him. But instead, Jesus, in his authority, looks at this spirit, says, verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. He rebuked him. He stopped him. He had authority over this unclean spirit, which had this unclean spirit had power and control over this man. But Jesus rebuked him. He stopped him. He said, in the reformer Martin Luther, he translated this uh, verse 25 and he said, Shut up. He told the spirit to shut up and come out of him. It's a strong language. But it's amazing to think. Jesus here silenced this unclean spirit. He he silences the wind and the waves. He silences the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He has power and authority to silence the spiritual realm. And here he does. Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit did. It obeyed. Crying with a loud voice, it came out of him, verse 26 says. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands, and even the unclean spirits, even them, even the unclean spirits, they obey him. He can command even the unclean spirits and they obeyed little do they know he will once soon as we'll read in mark 4 he'll command the wind and the waves as i said and many other things to come incredible his authority over the spiritual realm to silence to rebuke to change it's incredible because they saw it and they recognized this authority. What is this new teaching with authority? They were astonished, verse 22, at his teaching because it had authority. But now they see, not just in his teaching does he say things that are true and definitive, but now we have seen him command the spiritual realm and it obeys. They were astonished. And verse 28 says, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. He was one with power and authority. He commands, and they obey. It carries on, not only over the spiritual realm, but we see he has authority over the body. In the next section there, he comes to the house of uh, Simon and Andrew, and um, Simon, or Peter's mother-in-law, is ill uh, with a fever, and they said, hey, listen, she's ill. She's got something, she can't shake it. And he walked in, And he just stood her up. She was so sick, she was laying in bed. And he just stood her up. And incredibly, in this account, he didn't speak to her sickness. He didn't, you know, nothing like that. He just walked in with authority and showed her body enough's enough. He he stood her up and she was well. Obviously, in other circumstances, we see Jesus speak to blindness and muteness and, and touch, leprosy, and all sorts of things. But here he just showed his authority by just standing her up, and her sickness was gone. He had authority over her body at this time. It's incredible. And then again, further, he has authority over all the demons. Verse 32 and following. That evening, they brought all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, um, which is obviously not every single person in the city was at the door, just a, an incredible number of people. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Even the idea of him casting out is authoritative. He casts out those demons, and it said he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He would not permit them. Incredibly, um, the demonic realm, when we read it, of it in scriptures, you see that no one can control it. You think of the man who was uh, bro- broke all the chains and isn't wearing clothing and the legion of demons. It just overtook him. He couldn't control it. No one else could control it. And yet here, Jesus would not permit them to even speak. He had authority over them. It's incredible to see the extent of his authority over the soul, over the plan and the purpose of life, over the spiritual realm altogether, over the body, over the demonic forces. And when we face things in our life where we know that God is speaking to us, or calling us, or leading us. We have to ask, how do I respond to his authority? Do I obey? Do I obey quickly? Or do I try, in my own plans, to, to come up with an alternative? Something that's easier, and maybe accomplishes kind of the same thing. When, when, when you have this urge and this this sense in your heart that you need to tell a specific person uh, how God has saved you, and then invite them to to believe as well, but yet, uh, well, I don't want to ruin that relationship, and so you try to find another plan. How do you respond to that calling? It should be yes, Lord, I trust you. This may be hard, and it may ruin my relationship with them, but you know it all together. You, you know, five years from now, what this looks like. If you're calling me, I'm gonna go. It's not easy, but it gets easier as you as you know Jesus more, as you know not only the extent of His authority, but His heart. His heart for you, and, and to where He's calling you. It's not for your bad. It's not for your uh, your pain. You might experience pain when He leads you, but. Ultimately, it's for your good, your sanctification, your growth, and his glory. And so then when he expresses authority in our life, we we don't take on him as, as maybe you had a dad who was over-authoritative. And you think, I, I have I have dad problems, and so I, I really have a hard time trusting Jesus correction or leadership. Jesus is not your dad. He's not your teacher who was cruel to you he was not the person who abused you Jesus is not that person and so when we uh, I think we have to kind of evaluate ourselves and our responses to his authority in all the different realms of our life over our soul over our plan over our spiritual realm where's He exercising authority and how am I responding Because those are the things we pray about. Those are the things we ask others to pray for us about. I'm having a hard time. I'm I'm kicking back. I'm, I'm pushing back on Jesus in this area. I need you to pray for me. Because we want to follow him with complete obedience and quickly. Immediately as the disciples left everything, sacrificially they followed him because of who he was even though they hadn't even seen or experienced him to the fullness, as we, thankfully, we get to see it all. We see it all. We've known it all. We get to see it in other people's lives, the experience that they have with Jesus. And yet they followed in faith. So we ought to be praying, God, help me to follow in faith. Help me to leave what I need to leave. Help me to repent of what I need to repent of. Help me to believe. Help me to um, not kick back. When I'm exposed and I want to uh, shout out and say no. Let me say yes instead. Well, how do we respond to the authority of Jesus, who loves you and cares for you? Only you know, and only God can help you. Let's pray. Well, Father, you are so good to us. You're so gracious to us that even if we have pushed back against you and your leadership and your love. You're persistent. Your steadfast love never fails. Your mercy is new for us every morning, even if we have offended you again and again. You are so faithful. And we thank you for that. Thank you how you care for us. And we just pray that the more we know you, the more you speak to us and grow us in our understanding of who you are and how you work and how authoritative you are, that we would learn to trust. We will learn to say yes first, not wait. God, we need your help. We need you to even help evaluate our hearts and how we respond to authority and and even the past um, experiences that we've had with authority that's not been good in our lives. We pray that that would not impact the way that we look to you and trust you. Would you help us to do this so that you might receive honor and glory and we might be encouraged as we believe in you? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.